0: Good morning, friends. Good to see you guys. My name is Matt. If you don't know me, I'm one of the pastors here. And I am thankful that you are here on an actual winter morning. It's great to see you guys. Uh, We're going to start with the offering. Ushers come on down. And as uh, they do, would you guys join me in prayer for our offering and for our time together in God's Word? Let's pray. God, uh, thanks. Thanks for bringing us here. Thanks for the way you provide for us. And Lord, as we give this morning, we pray that we would be giving with gratitude and joy and thankfulness, knowing that we are giving back to you what is yours anyway, and that um, as we give, you will do great things for your name's sake here in Essex and Burlington and beyond. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And thank you for giving. Uh, if you're new or visiting um, and you're not prepared to give, please feel no obligation to that. You don't buy a ticket to church when you put anything in that offering basket. We're glad you're here. And those of you who do give, who call this church home, thank you for your continued partnership your, uh, and your giving and your worship through your giving. It is a joy that we get to do so many awesome things together as a church and to serve others. And your generous giving makes that happen. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Uh, Today, we're going to focus in a little more on what we began last week, a discussion about prayer. And we're going to focus in more a little on two passages we touched on last week uh, about what prayer is, what it means, what it looks like. And those two passages are the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, where Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, and what Paul writes in Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7. So we're going to continue our conversation on prayer this week. Please know that this is not comprehensive. This is not a classroom lecture or anything like that. But my hope today is to do two things. Number one is to provide a starting point. If you are looking to begin a new prayer rhythm or engage your prayer life, I hope this morning provides a starting point for you. And the second thing I hope for today is that it uh, is an opportunity for evaluation and re-engagement. If you uh, are a Christian or, you know, you have a prayer life and you feel things have gotten stale or you've kind of drifted out of the practice, I hope today it re-energizes you and gives you a vision and a, a starting place to get back re-engaged and to help your prayer life get on track as you uh, connect with the Father. So that's my hope for today. But let me start with these words from C.S. Lewis, who wrote about prayer more than once. But here's a quote I want to share with you. C.S. Lewis said, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, it changes me. Now, I think prayer is a tension point for anyone who follows Jesus, for Christians. It's a tension point because on the one hand, God already knows, right? He's God, and Jesus says it very plainly in one of our passages today in Matthew 6. He said, your father knows even before you ask. Because he's God. What kind of God would he be if he didn't know? But on the other hand, the Bible is very clear in more than one place that we are supposed to pray and ask God for things. We come to him and ask. Philippians 4, which we'll touch on today, Paul says it. He says, but make your requests known to God by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. So there's a tension point for us. Many verses in the Bible reinforce both of these points that God already knows, but we also need to pray and to ask. It's a tension point. Now, what we talked about last week, kind of the heart of prayer, is how we live in this tension point, I think, and the reality of where prayer is most effective. And that prayer actually changes us, like C.S. Lewis writes, which we just read. Because prayer is an intentional act of relationship and intimacy with the Father that aligns our hearts with his heart. Prayer helps us to trust God, to see things from his perspective, and that changes you. That's what we talked about last week. Or as I define prayer for us, prayer is conversation and encounter with the living God that inevitably changes you. Prayer is a mysterious act. It's a mysterious act of stepping out of our normal patterns and thought processes and allowing God to enter into our very being. And with that, there's vulnerability and there's intimacy and that reorients our hopes and desires. So even if we don't get the thing that we've asked God for, what we're praying for, we actually experience peace from God knowing that his will is being done, even if it's not the thing that I hoped would happen or how I hoped it would look. So today we're going to dig into these two passages a little bit. Um, And now there's a lot of different scriptures that talk about prayer and model that for us, different types, how to do it, all that. But I think these two passages, Matthew 6 and Philippians 4, in these two passages, we have both the heart and some of the how of what prayer looks like. So I don't get to your go-to prayer verse today. Please don't sweat it. Remember, this isn't a comprehensive type thing. This This is a focus, focus on our hearts as we come to God. So we're going to start with Matthew 6. We're just going to get into it where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And we're going to start in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is talking to his disciples, his followers. He says this to them about prayer. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. We're going to pause there. Jesus starts with the heart when he talks about prayer. Talks about our motivation for prayer. What motivates you to pray? It's a, supposed to be an active relationship with the Father. Now Jesus leans into this thought of motivation in the heart. He says some people are motivated not by a relationship with the Father, but they are motivated to be seen as super holy, to have a reputation. So they go out into places where they will be seen praying and they make a show of it. And he calls these people hypocrites (laughs) because their heart for prayer isn't the father. It's themselves and it's about being seen a certain way about their reputation. It's more important to them than what prayer is actually about and that is their relationship with God. And Jesus says, when we pray in that way that seeks attention, that says, look at me, we get exactly what we want, attention, nothing else. Then he says, instead, go and pray alone, in secret, in the setting, I think, that your heart can actually focus and be open to the Father. And I think this is a great starting place for teaching about prayer, as our motivation for Prayer. Now, I don't think this means that we shouldn't pray in public settings, like in church. I prayed a minute ago. I think that was okay. Or when you're in groups and praying together in a group, corporate prayer, group prayer, it's biblical. It's good. We should do that. That's not what this is saying. (coughs) This is saying for us as individuals that a good starting place for prayer We focus in on our hearts and our motivation and make sure we are in the right position that we can actually focus in on our relationship with the Father. So put yourself in a position where you can do that. Let's go on with what Jesus says here in verses seven and eight. We talked about these verses a little bit last week. Jesus says, he he says as he continues, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Again, Jesus focuses in on our hearts in prayer. He says, Don't be like the pagans who Babylon, or as some other Bible translations put it, um, they use vain repetitions or heap up empty phrases. Now, the pagan peoples that surrounded the Israelites and and that that land for centuries, their approach to prayer to their gods, their local gods, was to try to entice, coerce, manipulate that god into doing something for them. That's how they were seen. Say there's a drought or... um, a harvest is coming up and you want a good harvest or uh, a a woman is struggling to uh, bear children and the way they would approach that was they would go to their gods and their temples and try to say the right thing the right way in the right order or to persevere and stay there and talk and pray for as long as possible or to offer the right gift or the right sacrifice to try to get their God to do the thing they wanted them to do. Those pagan gods were often seen as fickle and able to be coerced or manipulated. So that was the approach a lot of people took to prayer. But what kind of God is that that can be manipulated by humans? Jesus says, don't do that, you don't need to. You don't need to come and, and have the right formula, say the right thing the right way, or just keep talking until God does what you want. God can't and won't be manipulated. Manipulated. Not like those pagan gods. In fact, he says, your father knows what you want before you even ask. He knows. Still ask, but don't ask that way. Again, this doesn't mean, I don't think this means we shouldn't use prayers that have been written. We shouldn't pray, do things like pray the Lord's Prayer together or things like that. That's not what this is saying. But it does mean that when we come to prayer with God in that relationship... We shouldn't be focused on trying to get God to do the thing we want him to do or have in our minds, well, if I say the right thing, God will do what I've asked. I think Jesus makes these two points before getting into um, when he says, now pray like this and gives us what we call the Lord's Prayer. I think he makes these two points because it's very easy to fall into these two traps. The first trap being it's very easy to fall into wanting to be seen a certain way, wanting attention, a certain reputation. It's easy when praying in front of or with a group of people to want to sound the best or say the best thing or the best prayer and have people respect you and see you in a certain way. That is a trap. It's also easy for our hearts to fall into the trap of just simply wanting God to do something for us or get him to do something for us. You know, life piles up. We feel, all of us feel urgency and anxiety. There's things we need, things we're desperate for. It's really easy to fall into the trap that prayer is about getting from God, not about a relationship. So Jesus, before he teaches us what to pray, teaches us how to pray. The heart, the posture, the manner in which we come to God. Be careful of the traps. Stay focused on your relationship with the Father. And then he models for us a prayer in verses 9 through 13. Let me read these verses and then we'll look at them little bit by little bit. Dig in a little deeper. Verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, last week we looked at these verses, kind of just a big picture overview Remember, this isn't a formula for effective prayer or anything like that. That's what Jesus says, don't do in verse 7, don't heap up empty praises. There's not a right order or way to say things. Big picture again, I want to just take a look at this this example Jesus gives us of prayer that starts with the heart. I want to share with you again one of those amazing uh, graphics I made last week. My very, um, you know, I don't know how I do it. But I get it done. But if we look at the prayer, it's very, it's very, you know, it's very simple to see that God comes first and we come second, right? Father in heaven, your name is holy, your kingdom come. And after that, hey, give us our daily bread. God first, us second. And when we pray like this with God in mind first and with God in our heart first, We submit, whether we know it or not, we submit our wants and needs to God's will. And that is the heart of prayer. It's that we are changed through the intimacy we experience as we have conversation and encounter with the living God. But let's look at each of these phrases really quick and uh, what Jesus models for us and maybe see what we can learn and pull out and follow Jesus's example of prayer. We'll start in verse nine, where Jesus says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. It starts with an acknowledgement of who God is. And in doing that, an acknowledgement of who we are in relationship to him our father. He is our father. And if he's our father, we are his children, right? But he is also in heaven, the king of the universe, the one who sits on the throne, who created with a word from his mouth, who holds everything together, whose name is holy and deserving of praise. This is another one of those tensions Christians need to live in. Another tension point for us, that God is absolutely our father and we are his children and we have all the love and access and relationship that comes with that. But at the same time, he is also God, the king of the universe. Acknowledging who he is, acknowledges who we are in relation to him. He is father, we are child. He is in heaven, he is king, we are not. And when we do so, we put ourselves in his love and his mercy. And I think this sets us in the right space, right? A place of intimacy with our father and submission to our king. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Those two things. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now we can take this phrase a couple of ways, I think first is again coming from that heart position, being able to say to God, your will be done. Your will is better than mine. Your kingdom come. That means my will in my kingdom is not being done, but his is. Or saying, God, my will is actually your will. I want what you want. And when we say that to God, we let go of our own efforts to control, control our lives, control the world around us. The things that bring us anxiety or fear or or frustration, we let go. We open our hands and say, God, I'm going to let you take that and handle it. And releasing control releases us from that anxiety and fear and all that stuff because now instead of holding on for dear life, we are trusting that God's got it. The second way to look at this phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Second way to look at this phrase, I think it's from a position of mission. That the only answer to the problems and not only in my life, but in the world is God and his kingship, his rule, his will. And when we pray that, We're telling God, I'm on board, I'm in. I've got the vision and I will do what it takes to live in and work for your kingdom here and now and to help others do the same. Now, from those first two phrases, the prayer is gonna pivot from a God first to us second, right, me focused, which isn't bad, it just has to come second, in submission to God. So let's shift now to us. Verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. It's a request for daily provision. You have needs, you have concerns in your life, bring them to God. This is both an expression of need and trust that God will indeed provide and that you indeed depend on him. And I think this is an example of just simply a prayer request of asking something. And that could be anything. The Bible has no shortage of examples of requests of God, of prayers, and encouragements to come to God in prayer with what you want and what you need. Now, I've noticed... That most people tend to fall on one side or the other of this thought process. I think it's with everything, right? We fall into extremes. We're a very polarized, extreme uh, culture these days. And when it comes to prayer, I think we do the same uh, with this point. Let me explain. Um, Some of us, I think, fall into the mindset of never asking God for anything. Maybe you think it's inappropriate or it goes against the whole your kingdom come and will be done thing to ask for something from God. Some of us fall onto that side of things or some of us, I think, and I've heard this from multiple people, some of us think we can over ask. Like God gets annoyed with us coming to him. So we try not to come to him at all or even just a little bit because we don't want to bother him. But on the other side of that, I think there's some of us, I know there's some of us, who the only prayers we ever pray are asking for stuff. And we ask again and again and again. Prayer is request. We tend to fall, I think, a lot of us into those two sides of this, but there is a healthy middle and a balance that comes with the right heart of prayer. Asking God, whatever I want, whatever I need, but make sure that your heart it's first for the father, and you're coming in the context of a relationship with him. You know, a child can ask anything of their father because of the relationship, but we also have to remember we're talking to God, the God of the universe. He knows best, he's all-powerful, and unfortunately, you're not. So come to God with what you need, but remember to come with the right heart. Let me take the last two phrases together, verses 12 and 13. We're just going to touch on these. Verse 12 and 13. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Prayers of forgiveness and mercy, um, these are essential parts of our relationship with God and how we should function in the world and in relationship to him. We always need forgiveness. We always need mercy. It's just the way it is. And in the context of relationship with God, we can always ask for those things. And he is good to forgive. Don't have time to really dig into these last couple verses, but I hope we get a glimpse of the picture of what Jesus models for us in prayer. That above everything else, it's about our heart as we approach the Father who is also the King of the universe. He comes first. Everything we could ask for comes second. And we do ask. God doesn't tell us not to. But he asks us to come in a context. Relationship and intimacy. Now, what Paul writes in Philippians 4, I think, fleshes out a little more practically what this looks like to pray in the context of relationship and intimacy. So I want to go right into Philippians 4, read these verses together, and again, look at a few key phrases and how and what prayer looks like. So let's read again uh, Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, where Paul writes in his letter, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what does it look like to pray in the context of intimacy with the Father? Uh, Let me break it down. We'll look at a couple key phrases here that Paul lays out for us, both in mindset and in practice, what these things mean. So the first one is what Paul starts with, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Do you always feel like rejoicing? I I definitely don't. Paul's writing these words from prison. He writes this letter from a prison cell to the Philippians. He writes a few other letters as well. And it's widely believed that Paul, by the time he writes Philippians, has been in prison already for two years. Two years of waiting, of isolation. Two years of not knowing the outcome of his prison sentence. Would he be released? Would he be kept in prison? Would he be executed? Doesn't seem like there's a lot to rejoice about for Paul. And yet he still says here, emphatically says, rejoice in the Lord always. I say again, rejoice. Because Paul knows no matter what the outcome of his situation is, his future in eternity is not in doubt. you always have a reason to rejoice in Christ. No matter what is happening in the world, Jesus still died on the cross and rose from the grave. That cannot change. No matter what's going on in your life, forgiveness and salvation is still available to you through a loving, faithful relationship with him. Nothing can change that. And that means when we believe in him, our good future is still secure. Nothing can change that. As long as you hold on to him, one day you will be with him forever. Praying in the context of relationship and intimacy, part of that looks like rejoicing in the hope of your future, holding on to that as an anchor in your life. Second thing from these verses I want to just touch on is when Paul writes very simply these few words the Lord is at hand. The Lord is referring to Jesus, who by the time Paul writes this letter, he's ascended to heaven 30 years prior. He's not there, and yet he's at hand. Now, the Greek word translated at hand in this uh, translation means uh, close or near. And this word is interesting because it can be used in reference both to space and time. Something is close. This word goose" is the Greek word. It can mean something is physically close to me, like this water bottle, are you guys in the front row here? It can mean you are close to me, physically, in space, you're close, you're near. But it can also mean time. Something is about to happen. Uh, my son Jack, he turns 10 this Friday. His birthday's coming up. I can tell him your 10th birthday is at hand and use this word to talk about it. It's coming, it's near, it's about to happen. Space and time. Now, for the first century Christians, the common belief was for them and the disciples that Jesus' return, his second coming, which we believe in today is going to happen still, it's coming, they believed it was gonna happen in their lifetime. Many of them believed they'd be alive to see Jesus return. And they believed a lot of the same things we believe about the second coming. Uh, you know, they wrote the book on it, uh, that it would be sudden and personal, that Jesus will come, he'll defeat Satan and evil and everything, our relationship with God will be like it was supposed to be before Adam and Eve ate the fruit in the garden. And they believed that was going to happen in their lifetime. So when Paul writes that the Lord is at hand, he means both these things. He means that Jesus is close to you, he's near. No, I can't reach out and touch him. He ascended to heaven, but his spirit is here. The Holy Spirit dwells in and among us. He's close, but he also means that he is coming soon. The expectation, he is coming soon. He's going to return and make everything right. And I think this reinforces that call to rejoice that Paul writes, and it sets our expectation that God is indeed close he's closer than we might think and his will is happening and will continue to happen third thing i want to touch on from these verses is this where paul writes but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god i think this is where it starts to get real good bring your requests, God says, this is his word to us, he says, bring it to me, make your request known to God by prayer and supplication. That word supplication, uh, I don't think I've ever used that in regular conversation, but the Greek word that's translated here as supplication simply means uh, asking for something. And it can be applied in a variety of ways. A child asking their father for a glass of water, a a servant asking the king for something, kind of hat in hand. It could be pleading. It could be uh, asking a friend for help. It can mean a need. It can mean a want. It's a very broad word. You can bring anything to God. Anything. There's no limit to what you can ask God for. It's okay to ask, there's no limit. But there's a caveat that Paul writes in these words. He says, bring it with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. This is one of the key pieces of what prayer looks like. Thanksgiving. And thanksgiving is important on a couple levels. Number one is just thanking God for who he is, what he's done, what you got. That's important. He delights in our giving thanks to him. But the other level, I think, is a little more profound. And that is that giving thanks, if you do that regularly, it actually changes you. Uh, My previous church that I was a part of uh, down in Massachusetts, I participated in a men's Bible study on Thursday mornings. And for some reason, guys, why do we always have to have men's Bible studies at like 7 a.m.? I just... I don't get it, uh, Dwight. Are you taking notes? I don't know. Um, but this Bible study was led by one of the other pastors at our church. His name is Steve, um, and this was a new Bible study. It was a new group of guys getting together at this new time, and and uh, you know that always takes some getting used to for us guys. And I gotta say, men getting men to talk, it's just horrible. It is a horrible experience trying to get... It's, it is literally pulling teeth. And we got, We got to work on that, guys. But, uh, you know, this group, we'd come and we'd have our study. We'd have some good conversations around the Bible and some questions and stuff. But whenever it came time to getting personal or vulnerable, or even saying, here's how I'm going to apply Jesus' word to my life. It was horrible. It was awkward. No one would talk. I'd even, um, I'd try to break the ice. This was kind of my role was like, hey, I'll be the first one, and then, you know, start the ball rolling. The ball never rolled. <laughs> I'd, I'd say it, and then I'd just be out there like, right, guys, and crickets. Oh, man, it was rough. Uh, after maybe two months Steve walked into my office and, and he was like, Matt, um, we gotta we gotta figure this out. We gotta change the dynamic of this group. These guys are they're a tough group. So Steve came up with something. I take no credit for this, but I watched it happen. Steve came up with something that absolutely changed the dynamic of this group. Absolutely changed it. From that uh, week forward, every Thursday morning, once everyone was there, we had our coffee. We're sitting around the table. Um, we, and Steve would make us go one by one like a group of middle schoolers, right? Going around the table, everyone has to answer. Um, he would start with a question, a very simple question. One by one, we'd go and answer this question. The question was, what are you thankful for? And the first week, again, it was horrible. We were going around the circle. What are you thankful for? My family, what are you thankful for? My family, what are you thankful for? My job, my family, my wife, my job. And it went on like that for maybe two or three weeks. But then one guy shared a story of something that happened to him that week. Hey, I'm thankful because this happened and I think God was a part of it. And pretty soon another guy started sharing and another guy. And within a couple of weeks, the whole group had absolutely changed. Absolutely changed. Absolutely changed. They were talking about things that happened in their week, big things, small things, things you never would have thought of. It took time to get there, but pretty soon we couldn't get these guys to shut up. We barely got to our Bible study. It was awesome. It was awesome. They were coming every week so excited and ready to share about what they were thankful about, what God was doing in their lives. The practice of thankfulness, I firmly believe this, I've seen it happen, it opens our eyes. When we start to recognize what God is up to in our lives, in the world around us, we start to see everything from that perspective. The practice of giving thanks is like a snowball rolling down a hill, getting larger, gaining momentum. Thanksgiving leads to more thanksgiving. Seeing what God's doing leads to seeing what God is doing. It's, you start to see things through that lens. It changes your perspective. It is amazing. So Paul writes, bring your request to God with thanksgiving. The perspective that, yeah, you need something, you want something, bring it to God, but, but remember, he's at work already, and there's just so much to be thankful for. So whatever it is, ask away with thanksgiving, and you will see, even if God doesn't give you what you're asking for, you will see everything else he's doing in your life and the world around you, and you can hold on to those things with thanksgiving. Let me touch on the final part of this verse. We talked about this part last week a little bit. Where Paul says, bring these things to God with thanksgiving and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I do find it comforting that God doesn't say, bring your requests to me and I'll do it. We're not promised results. And like I said last week, we're not even promised that he's going to do something we didn't expect. Although he does do that. He does. But I find it comforting that we are promised peace. Because I know I've prayed a lot of prayers that I haven't seen a result that I hoped for from. Now, when we remember to rejoice in the Lord, we remember he's close, that we have a lot to be thankful for. We open ourselves up to this transforming process that comes with that intimate relationship with the Father. Our hearts become God's heart. Our will becomes his will. Our perspective touches into his perspective. And we see that no matter what happens, God is good, he's in control, that Jesus died on the cross, we're still like, heaven's awaiting us. The urgency and anxiety you feel in your life will be met with peace because you are being changed in the act of prayer. And that is good. So how do we do that? You know, I promised last week that I would uh, kind of tell us how to pray this week. And I must admit, I didn't really have a plan. I just said it and now we got to do it. So here we go. How do we pray? I have a plan now. Um, or better yet, maybe we'll say, how do I start doing this? Matt, how do I start praying? Where do I start? What do I do? How do I re-energize my prayer life that's gone stale or feels ineffective? I'm just not feeling it lately. Well, here we go. I've got four encouragements for you this morning. Four things that I think reflecting on some of the stuff we've talked about in prayer and what the Bible says. Excuse me. Four things that you can start doing today. Today. That if you commit to them and do them, I promise you, you'll experience what we've been talking about. You'll have a good prayer life. You will be able to connect with the Father. Four things, four encouragements that you can start today when it comes to prayer. Number one, make it regular. Make it routine. Schedule it if you have to. Commit to it. You know, I think for a lot of us, and this includes myself, there's a false equivalence we make between something that's scheduled and something that's meaningful especially when it comes to spirituality. Well, if I, I schedule it or it becomes a routine, it's unmeaningful because it's not spontaneous. It's not like this burst of emotion or whatever that comes. And I think we make that equivalence. And I, I don't think that's, a, that's correct. I think that's a false equivalence that I tend to make and I think a lot of us tend to make. It doesn't have to be one or the other, especially if you're looking to start something new. If you're going to have it be part of your life, you really have to commit to it and make it a regular, scheduled, thing that I can count on that I know it's coming every day. You know, I have a notification in my calendar, 9.30 a.m. every morning, pops up and says, pray 9.30 a.m. And it's a reminder to me to stop my busyness, put down the to-do list. And maybe I have to wait a little while to get to it, but stop. There are some things more important. Focus on my relationship with God. So if you're looking to start a new prayer routine or wanting to energize your prayer routine, as as lame as it might sound, schedule it. Make it a daily part of your routine. Make it regular. Schedule it until it becomes habit. And start small. Don't be afraid to start small. You don't have to go in for three hours right away. Start with two minutes. Then push it up to five minutes, then to ten and build it up, and pretty soon you'll be enjoying abundant time with the Father. Set goals, stick to those goals, commit to it, make it a regular thing. That's my first encouragement. My second encouragement to you is to keep it simple. Keep it simple. Focus on simple prayers. When beginning a new prayer routine or getting back into that, it can be, it can be hard to know where to start. There's a lot of stuff that piles up, right? A lot of stuff you could say, a lot to ask for. You got a lot going on. Or maybe it's just awkward. You've never like spoken to God before. It's, it feels weird. You don't know what to do. It's, where do I start? Well, keep it simple. Start small. It can be one phrase or thought that you repeat. Help me, God. I love you forgive me, whatever it might be. Keep it simple. There was one year, 2014, 10 years ago, hard to believe. 2014, I spent the whole year pretty much focused on one simple prayer. It's a time in my life where I was feeling a lot of frustration. There was some transition. God was asking me to wait. And I had a hard time with that. This simple prayer helped me to hold on through this year of waiting and transition. It's actually a prayer that was written by uh, Augustine, early church father. He wrote this in the fourth century. It's the first line of a poem he wrote. It's like a prayer poem, one of his earliest works. And it's a prayer that Augustine himself would come back to again and again throughout his life that I adopted and made my own simple prayer. The prayer was simply this. Lord Jesus, may I know myself and may I know you. Man, know myself, man, know you. I prayed that prayer for a year. A year when I was a new dad, which was, you know, not the easiest thing to figure out. I was out of seminary. I had resumes all over the place looking, you know, God, where do you want me? Well, no church would hire me. It was a year of frustration, and God asked me to wait and I hung on to this prayer, simple prayer. Lord Jesus, may I know myself, may I know you. Who are you, Lord, Father and King? Who am I before you? Who have you made me to be? Simple. So start simple. Start small. You don't need to come to God with great eloquence. You can try. You can unload everything all at once. But if you're looking for some starting place, I encourage you, start simple. You just need to come and to... Come to him simply. Uh, Here's another quote from C.S. Lewis that I I found this week that um, kind of about simple prayers. Let me just read it. Hopefully, it resonates with you. Uh, We say that we believe God to be omniscient. Omniscient means all knowing. We say that we believe God to be omniscient, yet, a great deal of prayer seems to consist of giving him information. You can pile up the words. You can come to him. You can unload. You don't have to. He knows. God already knows. Start simple. Keep it simple. My third encouragement for you as you do this, start your prayer life, re-engage it, is to start with thanksgiving. Start by giving thanks. Like Paul says in Philippians 4, pray with thanksgiving. Bring your prayers, but do so with thanksgiving. And I firmly believe that even if we're not feeling it, like giving thanks is not at the top of my list, if I vocalize it first and give it priority in that way, over time the heart follows. So start with thanksgiving. Because remember, look at the Lord's Prayer, Jesus models, God comes first, we come second. Our will submits to his will. So, put God first. A great way to do that is by starting with Thanksgiving. Looking for things to be thankful for, like a snowball rolling down a hill, you're going to see things. You're going to notice things. You're going to gain that perspective day by day, like the men in that group did that I was a part of. So, start with Thanksgiving. It will reorient your heart and your soul. So, I encourage you: find one or two things every day to say thank you to God for, and to say it out loud. Something about saying it. You can think it, you can feel it, but saying it, there's something about putting it out there in the world. You hear your own voice, start with thanksgiving. Every day, find one or two things to be thankful for. Tell God about it. And the final thing I'll encourage you with this morning is to practice silence. Good conversations, even bad conversations, they're not (laughs) one-sided, Good relationships are built on mutual give and take and talk and listen. The same is true with our relationship with God. You know, prayer is a mysterious thing. It really is. It's, it's this relational act with someone we can't see. I can't reach out and touch. I can't call on the phone or text. But that someone is always here. In fact, he knows me better than I know myself probably. <laughs> and he's here. He's listening. He's working. He's speaking. He's acting. He's acting. Prayer is not a one sided conversation. Prayer is intimacy, it's relationship. It's a child connecting with the Father. We need to stop talking if we're ever going to hear the Father speak. We need silence to anchor into our souls our connection with God. We need silence to pull us out of the busyness and anxiety of life and simply sit with the Father to be still and know that he is God, right? Silence pulls us out of the noise. To sit in silence and let the voices and the thoughts rush and rush and rush until they quiet down. It can take time. You know, some people call silence, when they talk about silence before the God, they call it waiting. Waiting on the Lord is a phrase they use. Well, waiting for What? waiting for him to speak, waiting for him to act, or simply waiting, waiting with the Lord, outside that flow of time and busyness that plagues our lives. I recently finished a book called When Church Stops Working, written by Dr. Andrew Root and Dr. Blair Bertrand. Whole point of the book is that, you know, we do a lot in the church, but sometimes less is more. Sometimes silence is better than doing. And here's a quote from the book that just kind of struck me when I was reading it last week. We need to do something and fast. We need solutions. Inside the anxiety to do something fast, waiting is a distasteful enemy. Ultimately, this anxiety confuses us. But waiting is our friend. The only way we can survive is by waiting. Waiting puts our attention in the right place. When we forget to wait, we become too distracted, too impatient, too angry to see God's actions. Practicing silence puts our attention in the right place because we're saying to ourselves, right now, this is more important. Whatever else is going on, this is more important. It moves our heart away from distraction, from busyness, from anxiety, from all that stuff and puts us in the presence of the Father to just sit. When we neglect silence, we have a hard time stepping out of that pace of life and gaining perspective. So I'd encourage you, make silence a part of your life. Whether that's just sitting sitting in your room alone for a few minutes, whether it's on a drive turning off the radio, whether it's taking a long block to sit and pray and then sit silent. Make silence a part of your life and a part of your prayer life. Take time to simply turn off the noise and listen. Maybe that's where you'll hear God speak. Or maybe it's just simply where you'll find him waiting for you. So if you're looking to start into a new prayer routine or re-energize a prayer routine and rhythm, I'd encourage you with these four things. Make it regular, schedule it, commit to it. Keep it simple. Focus on simple prayers. Start with thanksgiving. Find one or two things every day to tell God that you're thankful for and practice silence. Now, the goal of all this is not to get you to check a box and say, yep, I'm praying, good to go, God. We prayed, we're good. Did the thing I'm supposed to do. No, no, no. The goal is intimacy with the Father that leaves you changed. It's in those spaces and in those times that God does his greatest work in our lives. It teaches us patience and kindness. That gives us perspective. Helps us to see where we went wrong maybe in that relationship or how we frustrated that person God speaks in those places. There's so many things we could say to God. There's so many ways we could say it. I know. Sometimes it just takes one small step of trust and obedience to change everything. And it will change for the better because God, when we meet with him, he is going to show us himself, show us ourselves and help us to see things from his perspective. And with that comes peace. So try those four things, commit to them, and you'll not only find your prayer life reinvigorated, but you'll actually see yourselves changed by your conversations and your encounters with the living God. Church, let's stand as we close in prayer today. Let's start with Thanksgiving. God, thank you. Thank you for the cold weather. Thank you for the warmth inside this room. Thank you for the faces sitting here, whether friends or strangers, familiar or unfamiliar. Thank you that we have been brought here to this place where you meet us and where we have a chance to meet with each other. That's no small thing. Thank you for those things today. And God, as we go from this room into whatever we have going on, whether it's work or rest or family or friends or silence, God, we trust that you will meet us there. Lord, help us to be open to you in every moment for our transformation and for the transformation of the world around us. Help us to see things from your perspective And God, may we experience that peace that you promise in your word, a peace beyond understanding so that we can hold on through all the busyness and anxiety of life, knowing that you are here and that you are waiting for us in eternity. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, church. Good to see you today. Go in peace.